but yeah. my track history of pain with injuries and this and that, and it's not something I'm proud of, but it's like my perspective meter is set from so much pain that it's like I, I'm confident about the message because I know I've been through just more than most people when it comes to like if someone was injured like me most people would have quit because they do because why would you not it's only because i'm freaking crazy from the moment you wake up to the moment your head hits the pillow this is the it's all day podcast your home for knowledge and inspiration about fitness nutrition and the mentality behind what it takes to be great What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the It's All Day podcast. I'm here with the ATG Sprinter, Brendan. Uh, Brendan, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. This is a, a pretty cool moment. I'm excited to talk with you. Oh, yeah, dude. So me and Brendan, we met probably, what, two, three weeks ago in Clearwater at the ATG Expo. Um, didn't get to talk a whole ton. To be honest, when I first saw you, I was like, oh, he kind of looks like a cool guy. I don't know if we'll vibe very well. I want to make sure he likes me. Um, as I got to talk to you a little bit more, you and me were able to vibe pretty quickly. Um, but I knew there was more that we hadn't talked about. So I wanted to kind of get you on the show, wanted to talk a little bit more, pick your brain, hear your story, those types of things. So for the listeners, kind of give them a short snapshot, kind of who you are, um, what you do, just so they know who they're listening to. Sure. So my stats, my highlights are that I'm one of the, uh, I claim to be one of the least athletic guys ever to stick with sports into his 20s and try to be competitive. Um, I ran college track. I actually played soccer a lot, very seriously in high school as well. Um, and I ran track as well, stuck with the running more. Um, I spent most of my adult life in New York City, kind of navigating, pursuing dreams and trying to be an entrepreneur and starting businesses and failing and went through a lot of crazy kind of a, uh, just trials and tribulations of life because of chasing dreams alone and good stories and insight. Um, yeah, um, right now I am ATG Sprinter on Instagram. That's my alter ego form where I try to teach people how to be faster as I learn how to become faster. And I've made a lot of progress so far. And uh, even in just content and stuff, I've been finding a group of how to connect with people and and also use like a lot of your past adversity and and hardship to to propel you into like a new stage of your life and how does it all make sense so that's kind of been where i've gotten to right now with atg as well and where we met was just like such a cool phase of my life meeting you as soon as i heard your story of the knee alone um, which i'm sure your viewers may know a bit about i was like an instant believer like that's exactly the way I approach everything in life. So I was like, dude, I don't know your even first name, but I love you and I'm on your team. <laughs> so that's just kind of how I am with certain things. It's like, says a lot about a person. So uh, yeah, man, I hope that explained a little bit about yeah. me. I speak okay. in pockets and go all over the place sometimes, but. Yeah, no, that's perfect, dude. Uh, what, uh, so you, I didn't know you played soccer and you uh, sprinted or you ran track. I've listened to a little bit of your backstory and kind of know that, I think you got into track mainly because of like friend, friend pressure. Isn't that correct? Yeah. In middle school, just trying to like do things to stay busy, stay out the house, hang out with my friends. They were all athletes. So they ran track and uh, that's how I started. Yeah. Nice. And then when you played soccer, what, what was your position? I'm curious now. 
Yeah. So when I started soccer, I was really late. I started in high school and I was labeled the track runner. So they put me as like an outside mid and outside back and I'll just run all the time. But uh, I fell in love with it and became like an absolute workaholic on, on the individual skills and like tactics. So I, I ended up being um, able to play a little bit more of like a center position and center mid and stuff, but I didn't get that good. I was more of the athlete soccer player, even though I loved it more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was, that was nice. Dude. Well, talk to me a little bit about like mindset with regards to being in high school, which is a pretty like, it's a time when you're very focused on your outside world and how you're perceived. And for you, as I've listened on other shows, being like one of the slowest guys, I'm yeah. sure looking back on it now, it's like the best test you probably went through in your life. But right. in the moment, most people, if they were the slowest track runner and there was a lot of people that saw it and you're running a track event and you're literally the last guy on this large track and nobody can leave until you finish. <laughs> like, how did you get through that, especially for, you know, four years of having to kind of have that happen over and over again? And did it fuck with you at all mentally through those years? Big time. So, I mean, for the first two years, I literally every bus ride home was thinking about how I'd tell my coach I'm quitting. I'm like thinking of the excuse, like I got to pick up my sister from school. I got to come up with something that I coach. I can't, I can't come next and I'm done. But I also always, when I tell the story, I always try to like also mention that I had the most supportive and well-intentioned group of teammates when I was in ninth grade and 10th grade so even though I was the absolute worst and it was embarrassing to everyone and me and I felt you know at least that's how I viewed it um videos also also prove this as well it's like my uniform's falling off my shoulder and like everyone's done with the race but my teammates were so supportive cheered me on literally I never felt like a loser even though I was literally the biggest loser of the race every time which is cool um and it was just because I had the right pairing of people around me. If I was the worst at something and there was like, you know, some bullying or hate going on, I would have been out of there, guaranteed. And it was only because I felt like I was a part of the community and something a little bit bigger that like the team was good. We won our league championship every year. I would see these guys that I wanted to emulate. And I just like literally idolized like, wow, these guys are so freaking athletic. They're the seniors or whatever. And they were the ones telling me, like, you'll get there to stick with it. And they really meant it. And that's also kind of like the start of my belief of mentorship and like really tucking under the wing of someone who's willing to teach you. And um, that's the only reason I stuck with it, man. Otherwise, I definitely would have gotten out of there. I would have joined the chess team. I would have found something else that (laughs) would have been better for me. Yeah, that's dope, man. I think it's huge right now. Even for me, I played soccer my entire life. And, you know, so you have teammates there, you have coaches there. When I went to college, it felt like that dynamic had totally shifted. Like teammates were now like a lot more enemies. Um, And you wouldn't, I didn't have it until I joined a CrossFit gym and felt that sense of community. With my dog, give me one second. No problem. Are you ready? Come in here. Sorry, the dog is freaking whining at the door and it's open. She can come in. Um, It wasn't until I went to CrossFit and had that sense of community where I had people who legitimately like weren't trying to compete with me, who wanted just the best from me. And to get that at such a young age, man, that's huge. 
um, as you were going through track, did you, you had a ton of injuries too. Yeah. Yeah. By the end of the year, I actually didn't run my entire senior year. Yeah. Of that. And it started with the knee. I'm kind of like made it through my soccer season. The injury was from soccer. It was just overuse, um, tendonitis, and then I missed my senior year. So I really only had one season where I was pretty competitive my junior year, and I became like team co-captain and ran some decent times. And uh, I even got like preferred walk-on recruits for D3 schools and stuff, which was a big deal for me for track yeah. um, that I called off because I was trying to pursue soccer at the time. But um even missing my whole senior year I felt what it was like to be the worst and become decent within three years so yeah the injuries started my adult life that's how I walked into it with chronic injuries yeah. I don't know if go into that now or if you have other points but yeah like did you so when when you uh did you go into college did you go to college when you Sorry. went, to college, you went yeah. to college to play sports right yeah that was well, I tried yeah yeah, so I went to, I, <laughs> this is how I picked the college. Um, I literally looked at like what, I was a terrible student. Um, I literally just in high school, I was completely checked out. And I think it had to do with like a lot of, I was holding together my family household a lot. I was, you know, like taking care of my sisters and a lot of real life stuff behind the scenes. And then also, the school district I was in was tough and rough and underfunded. And like, I just didn't believe in the curriculum the way I probably should have. But so for me, it was just sports and music. And like, I would skip all my classes and go to my, my jazz band or play piano, or I would go play soccer, go lift or go do something. Um, so when I decided where to go to school, it was literally just off those metrics. Like I had to scrape by to get my GPA enough to get into state schools. And then I looked at like, what are the best D3 schools I could potentially walk on as a soccer player? Because I was a nobody in soccer, but I was fully committed to it. Um, and I picked like the best D3 that I thought in New York State, which was SUNY Cortland. And I was like, that's my way to work the level, go from the worst, get a walk-on spot. And then maybe by the junior year, be somewhere where I could like potentially get looks by a D1 school if I develop. And so that's literally how I chose the school I went to. And uh, there's a whole story we can get into with what happened with that um, and the injuries play into it. But that was it was a simple decision for me. I, uh, I went to school because I had to get the heck out of my hometown. There was a lot of negative stuff going on. There was, I was seeing a lot of people get stuck in bad situations and I didn't know what I would do with my life. So I was like, college was the only way I could imagine getting the hell out of there. And then sports were kind of like the compass of what direction could I even head in. Yeah. Um, and so studying exercise science, my major was purely to fix my own knee. So my decision-making processes then were pretty freaking like yeah, simple. Pretty, yeah. pretty selfish. Like I want to fix my knees. So I'm going to study exercise science. I want to be a pro soccer player. So I'm going to go to the, whatever school helps me the most with that. Like that was, uh, that was kind of where I started chasing passion as like a, a pursuit for life. Not, not the best practical routes, but no, I mean, I personally, I'm the exact same as you. I went to college specifically for the school that was going to give me the highest scholarship and give me the chance yep. to play the most. And when I went yep. there on my visit, I literally asked every guy on the team, I go, hey, what's the easiest major I can take so I can just focus on soccer? And they're like, you should do business. And I said, sold. Like, yeah. I had no idea what I wanted to do in business or in college. Didn't care whatsoever. I was like, if, I, if my classes are easy, 
that's just more time on the field. And like, if I get like a C in my class because I decided to skip like a week and a half to go train, I'm okay with that also. Yeah. Uh, so we're exactly the same. But now, now I'm definitely curious. How did it go when you went to the to the school for the soccer journey? What what was that story? Man, well, this has been on my mind a lot. It's kind of a there's context that I think has to be shared about it, which it'll take this whole podcast to a real level real quick. <laughs> so is that you do you go into depth with it? Like, it sounds exactly what I want to hear. So my best friend in high school, who was like the only crazy enough to train the way I was training, like we would meet up together and train before school, right after soccer practice, he was my goalie. We would stay on the field and do like hours of drills and free kicks and whatever. It's awesome having a goalkeeping friend when you want to just rip shots on goal all day because they're actually getting some practice. Yeah. Um, and so that was like my guy that we would do that for years. And he was a, my best, best friend. I, I, his parents took me in and let me stay there sometimes. Like just wonderful, the light, most lighthearted kid ever. And when I went to school, he was a year younger at the time. And we're best, best friends. I decided to go to this school. And it was kind of like me and him planning, like, how are we going to go pro? We promised each other we're going to literally do everything we can, whether it's play in a Polish fourth level league somewhere. We need to get a paycheck to play soccer someday in our lives. And we are driven by the dream. And when I went to school for like the first week of the summer kind of program I had to go to, there was some freak thing that happened where he had antibiotics just for a normal like infection or something. And he had an adverse reaction and went to cardiac arrest and pretty much went into a coma for a month. And this is why I was away. I didn't know that. Yeah. And when I came back from the summer program before school, uh, I pretty much spent the whole month there with him and just realized like he's never pursuing this dream again. And I was there with his family and it was super tough um he's still still around and I'm super grateful for that he's you know like mentally not really there it's not the same like for the minutes without oxygen to the brain there was a lot that was lost he can't pursue anything like that at all um but ever that was right before I went off to school and I finessed a tryout and I like made connections with the coaches and was like a preferred walk-on my knee was completely shot at this time I had really bad tendonitis I missed my senior year of track just to make sure I could try to be healthy enough. You would think rest would make you healthy enough for the tryout. And so I went into this tryout, man, like the most pressure you can ever have on making a team ever in your life. And I remember just like chose a school just for this tryout, me and my best friend, I'm, I'm now alone on this like mission and dream and I'm 17. I don't know how to cope with that type of like, tragic thing happening and all I could think about was like I have to make this team mm-hmm. like there is zero chance that it can go other ways I don't know what I'll do and when I got there we had a little tryout and it was kind of like uh, we did some drills and then we did a little 7v7 scrimmage for 15 minutes and I realized it was pretty much a formality that they already had their guys and I was, you know, super undersized. I thought I was pretty crafty, and I did really well during the trial, um, but pretty much did not make the team. Yeah. And I was depressed for like, I didn't leave my dorm for like six weeks. And yeah. so this, I'm now at the school that I 
only chose for one reason. I feel like I let down the purpose of my friend and like everything that I was trying to make sense of all the tragedy and like make it a, a worthwhile thing. And like, I honestly ended up hating the sport for a long time. And even I would see guys on the soccer team, like come to the cafeteria and I would just look at them like, you have no idea, oh my God. And I tried, I, I remember a lot of my friends I had a lot of friends that played soccer today. They're like, play the club team. Like, it's really competitive. You can play club, work your way up. And I was just so resentful, man, because I was also super injured. Like, my knees were cooked. And I couldn't build an athletic physique. I felt like I couldn't even become a better player. Um, I ended up getting knee surgery that spring to try to turn it all around and try again. But yeah, man. So that was my first year of college. It was a very negative, dark place. It was probably one of the first real big heartbreaks of life I felt. And it's, I just said something on this earlier on my social media today. Like I've never complained about the pain of training ever in my life because of that experience though, it has completely reshaped the like blessing of anything we go through with our body. Mm-hmm. If you, and overcome an injury, if there's even a chance of that, that's such a blessing because someone out there just doesn't even have legs or someone out there doesn't even have the ability to walk. Someone doesn't have their life. They don't have their livelihood. So I don't care if I have a sore kneecap like or a tendonitis or a meniscus tear. Like I don't care if I have a 20% chance of this ACL regrowing. Like it's such a blessing to be able to work at it. And the pain of training, like now I do track, and I've kind of reshifted that energy towards something else. It's like running a 400 really hurts. Running an 800 really hurts. Like the yeah. events I try to do, but it means nothing to me, dude. Like that kind of pain is a freaking blessing to be able to push your body there. So, yeah. Um, sorry, I'm I'm going off on it, but it's it's something that I just realized is at the core of my commitment and like work ethic with with training and athleticism it just is like i i could either be depressed or grateful and i try to pick positive side out of it so yeah that was my first year of college it was it was a life you and i had very similar we didn't have extremely similar years but we both like the pain level was probably pretty same same the first year of college was rough Um, but i love that message that you have man and i now that i've been doing more and more like ATG knee rehab specific training and for clients and myself, like I've got some people that come in and they're like, ah, dude, these squats are hurting, man. And I'm like, dude, I wish I could squat. I miss squatting. Like I miss the pain of a good squat because right now, like the knee can't bend, you know? And like, I have a lady right now who just had a full knee replacement two months ago. And the first time she came in, like her knee, dude, it scared me. Like when you see like people get like mega knee surgeries and it's like so swollen yeah. and so bent in and like they can't walk straight. I'm like, oh, like, dude, like it scares me to see that yeah. shit. Yeah. Um, so when I see those people and people start to complain, people don't understand the privilege and like the joy that you really do get from yeah. the training until you've had a massive injury. Right. And it's and not every athlete knows that like once you're, once you're not able to play your sport, like that hurts way more than any type of sprints or training you'd ever have to do. Right. And you don't, it's not even their fault. You just can't teach that. And it's not something you really wish on somebody per se, but like 
But that's why you we know, do things like this, man. That's why I like having these stories out there because the more that people hear these types of stories and understand, you know, somebody might see your Instagram page and they just see, you know, like the first 20 posts and maybe in there, the story wasn't fully told and they just see the sprints are like, damn, he's super fast. ATG must help with just sprinting. And it's like, no, you don't realize like I was broken and yeah. I rebuilt myself. And then I, yeah. e then I got even better. And now you see who I am. And if I did that, you can do that too. Yeah. And that's why I'm the most confident about my message because it's very, this sounds really arrogant or egotistical, but like, I'm all, I'm pretty confident that like nine out of 10 conversations I have someone with at least physical injuries. I have gone through a lot of pain, just like you. Like sometimes I'm like, wow, that's shocking. How can you stay positive? But yeah. my track history of pain with injuries and this and that, and it's not something I'm proud of, but it's like my perspective meter is set from so much pain that it's like I I'm confident about the message because I know I've been through just more than most people when it comes to like, if someone was injured like me, most people would have quit because they do, because why would you not? It's only because I'm freaking crazy because yeah. I've literally been through so much that I've decided to be crazy. Yeah. Um, and I'm not better than anyone at all. That's not what I'm trying to get at. I don't think I suffered more than someone living in a third world country. It's just like the story of athleticism and potential can't be told only by the lucky few who make it without injuries or the you know genetically superior and they set the standard and it's like of course they're the ones who can talk the best about it because they just they made it to the stage how do you get a platform if you're a nobody and you're injured you got to climb 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 so if you give me any kind of platform i'm going to make sure everyone who's where i was at knows they can get there too like and and some people don't know that like you said you see a few posts you scroll through like, oh, this guy doesn't know. I, th those comments make me laugh when it's like easy for you, you to say, imagine if blah, imagine if you had a bad back and I'm like, I had a herniated disc. I couldn't walk. I know <laughs> like, like, trust me, I'm not saying it's easy, but um, yeah, it's even at the expo, dude, we're like, I met, I'm not going to disclose his info, but like, I met a guy that had an incredible story with his leg, like a, a bone tumor and had to get the surgery and like has something that neither one of us can even like imagine coming back from. And he's more optimistic than me. Yeah. So how could I ever complain? You know, like there's always somebody fighting a, a fight just as big, you know? So yeah, I, I, I get the perspective and I'm appreciative for it. I hope, I hope people, don't get rubbed the wrong way by like our kind of conversation around it. No, I don't, think uh, so. I don't think so. Well, when did, uh, when did ATG become a thing? So you went to school for exercise science. When yeah. did, when did exercise science transition from like the traditional school learning to what's this ATG stuff? When did that happen for you? Yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely not a, like a transition. It was more of a jump ship and then board on another ship. <laughs> it never really like, they didn't fuse as well as you would imagine, surprisingly, but like I studied in school. I went 2015 till 2017 uh, at that school. And then I transferred somewhere else and went to school from 2018 to 2020. And then I dropped out. So um, I took the whole academia route. I was trying to earn the stripes and chips of like someone 
knowledgeable in the field. I did some research with professors. I was trying to like really learn more to even use it for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, from the age of 18 to 23, I picked up a new chronic injury every year. And so went into college with patellar tendonitis that I was told was too bad to, it was, it was too dysfunctional damage to heal on its own. So I got surgery, didn't really help. I struggled with that for a couple of years. And then when I was shifted to sprinting, trying to be a track runner, I got shin splints that led to stress fractures multiple times. So I was like, had micro fractures in my legs for two years on and off. Um, I had a sports hernia in 2020 in my lower ab wall. And then I herniated a disc in my L5S1 and like had a really bad sciatica back pain um, around 2020 as well. So all those injuries were just from age 18 to 23. And I was training my ass off, always in pain. So ATG came in basically when I was like at absolute rock bottom, injured, extremely depressed, extremely messed up. Couldn't even pretend to train anymore. I couldn't even do a freaking front squat with 90 pounds. I couldn't, I literally ran out of alternative exercises. I couldn't work around injuries. I was screwed. And so I, I found ATG zero, which came during COVID time. And I, it was like, well, I guess I can do tip raises, you know, like, I guess I can do calf raises. The way I viewed it is like most athletes, like, is that really going to help me though? It's so, you know, it's so like low level. I don't know if I'll get much from it stuck with it got a split squat flat to the ground and my sports hernia didn't hurt anymore and I was like whoa that's crazy and then through the tip raises and lower leg work like I could run and not get shin pain and I was like wow this is fucking insane and and then I just started taking it through the the old levels of dense and standards and I just I started to really adopt like the whole philosophy Mm -hmm. and I have literally overcome so many injuries and avoided surgeries that I thought I had to get a spinal fusion. Like that's what I was told after two years. And it it was just pure blessing. It was purely to save me. That's how I found it. It wasn't even interest. It wasn't a, uh, you know, like personal education just because I was curious. It was like, I have no option. Please help me. Will this do it? I'll try one last thing. And it saved me. So that's how I learned about it. And obviously I, I was a coach um, since like 2016, I got certified and took on clients. And so of course, if I felt the magic of it, I'm going to start using it with everybody. Mm. That led me to, to some of the, you know, to the place I'm at now with ATG. So. Yeah. Nice. What, uh, I'm curious, what got you into coaching? Um, well, when you're in like exercise science, I guess it's kind of things like what, it kind of like implied in the in the career yeah actually you know what it wasn't it wasn't a conscious decision actually so after my first year of school uh, I took a year off because I had the knee surgery and I was trying to rehab and come back and I obviously had the most depressing first year ever and I've stayed with my aunt and uncle in Texas and they were like hey this is a guy that needs some help at the gym he could he could help you probably do you want to try to work with him and I was like guess be a personal trainer like I'm the most I'm skinny frail injured kid but if he wants help and that guy was a huge mentor for me and I trained all year um and that was how I got my foot in the door he was really big into like functional training and kettlebell work and you know just base training strength training stuff and um that was actually a very big year for me but I still got injured a lot so the coach 
coaching came from like taking a year off, not knowing what to do. Mm -hmm. I had this weird opportunity to come somewhere and it, anything I did through the time period of 18 to now, whether it was what I studied, what I did for work, it had to relate to getting me to being a better athlete for myself, selfishly. Like, what do I want to learn about? Well, I have to be able to apply that to me. What do I want to practice as, as an empl like employee? Well, that has to be able to come back to me. Like, I'm not going to sit for eight hours and do accounting unless like it's going to help me. And so, because the, the goal I explained about me and my best friend, like that's, that's a daily thought. I wake up with that. So it's like, that is still how I operate. And so that's my, my North Star kind of thing. And everything else funnels in after. So um, I think I became a coach because I want to be a better athlete selfishly. <laughs> and so um, I enjoyed coaching. I love people. And I really, you see the magic of it when you can get breakthroughs for people. But yeah, that is how the coaching happened. That's dope, dude. That's funny. That's definitely, it's different than my story, but it's still a really cool story how it became just a random thing that happened and now it's a massive part of your life. That's oh. always very, very dope. But the other part of this that I want to talk about is probably the flip of a lot of these like tactical, logical steps that went through this is I'm curious on more of like the spiritual side of how yeah. you were able to navigate, you know, five years four or five years of just like consistent injury 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 and for you to be able to like where does the spiritual side of this come into it because even you know with clients that I work with anybody who's trying to lose weight who's trying to improve their knee health yes the gym is super important but there is a spiritual and mental transformation that happens in my opinion before a lot of the physical stuff even becomes a thing so I'm kind of curious, like, what was that transformation for you or what were the developmental stages that got you to go through all of those injuries? Yeah, man. So I, I wish it was as linear as that, that I could explain like a particular moment that was pivotal. And then I could, I could leverage that for my own use, but it wasn't really as straightforward. Um, I think the physical injuries were just one one of the manifestations of the state I was in at the time. And I, I grew up, I think, very afraid of life and very, uh, very limited on like what I, what I expected from the world. So even though I had huge ambitions and goals that I shared with my friend, it was almost all always in spite of all the negative it was like i'm gonna be a pro and get us out of here kind of thing i'm gonna break past all this stuff and like i'm gonna i'm gonna outpace everybody i'm with right now because i like just viewed the world as kind of a scary messed up place and it's easy to do that especially depending the way you grow up and how it's like so the injuries kind of just fit the narrative of like oh lucky me like I really thought I was the an unlucky person at the time. And I was convinced that like, of course that happened to me. Of course this happens to me. I worked the hardest and, and this is what happens. And there were other aspects of life that it would come up. Like I used to be a hypochondriac. I used to be obsessed about how I'm gonna get sick. Like, and I would literally manifest symptoms. Yeah. I would, I swore I had cancer because I had these lymph nodes that blew up one time and never went away and I stressed about it and stressed and I swear the more would pop up and I would feel just so freaking 
anxious. Like I would spend every night literally feeling like, wow, I'm going to die. And as a 19 year old, it sounds ridiculous. It sounds like that's not what people think about. I didn't really grow up in like, I didn't, I didn't form a, a very well-balanced uh, perspective. I was pretty like all or nothing, like I'm going to make it or it's all going to come burning down. And, you know, saying all this just to say like the power of the mind. What'd you say? I was just going to say, me too, man. You're speaking right in track with my mind at 19. Yeah. Yeah. And so negativity in one space of your life it's just, it's just going to spill over to other places in your life. And so the injuries were just one way that that was showing. It was, it was also there in my mind. And I saw how the mind can control, can, can really show itself in your reality, in your body, in your situations you end up in, in your unlucky positions you find yourself in, in the relationships you can't avoid. Like, I started to notice some patterns about the way I would treat myself and the way my life looked. And it was like, it wasn't a, I finally get it and got over it. It was a very slow turning the tide, meeting better people and cycling out some of the negative past things and, and finding little solutions and wins and replacing those for past limiting beliefs of like, you can't, you can't overcome knee injuries without surgery. Like I thought that was it. Like you tear a meniscus, like you can't regrow cartilage. You can't, and, you know, there's so much to health and well-being that is not going to show up on the first page of Google search. Like if you improve how to live longer, it's probably not going to list breath work and sleep as the first couple things. And, and it's like, or how do you avoid these diseases? And it, it'll say stress, but like, what is stress? And all that years that I spent anxious and convinced something was going to happen to me. I guarantee I never breathed into my diaphragm once. My autonomic nervous system was probably freaking haywire the whole time. I was living in stress hormones. Yep. And, and that is not a metric we, we track the same way. And I swear, like, the little thing just started to make a difference. Information, um, I didn't even touch on the spiritual side of it, but, like, that's just setting the framework of I had to suffer in so many different weird ways that made me realize like wait I'm doing all of this like even though I, it feels like everything's happening to me there's a direct relationship of what I'm putting out and what I'm getting which one started it I don't know but if I can affect one of them I'm probably going to affect the other yeah and so I had I chose to be delusional I chose to believe like I'm going to feel better. These injuries are going to heal. And there's zero feedback yet from the outside that that's happening, but I'm going to start here. And it, the, the outside world is going to have to catch up eventually because you can't, you can't believe something long enough without it showing up somewhere through your actions or your, your new life. So, or your new belief system. So like, yeah, man, overcoming the injuries was a huge win for me to start to believe like I'm in control and I can do this. And, and then I started to take that in the way I used ambition for professional pursuits, for personal development. I got really big into reading these books, um, a lot of self-help books, a lot of spirituality books. I started doing affirmations all the time. I went really big into 
routines and morning routines, meditation. I became a monk and I would literally like, when I was trying to overcome the back injury and my sports hernia, I literally spent an hour every morning meditating. I would sit in for an hour and do guided meditation. And I, a lot of the time I'd be just funneling in on like focusing on the area, focusing on how do I want to feel um, and just shifting the tide. What do I expect? Because it used to be I woke up and I'd think about my back and I'd like get up and I'd be instantly framed to like expect pain. Um, and I always found it. Anytime I expected that, I found it. So just, yeah, man, taking taking the most powerful thing we have, like our brain and our, our spirit and belief is something that has produced miracles in so many people for so many things. We just don't know how to, how to document that. So we can't call it valid, yeah. but we use some of these stories out there and like you look at case studies, there's anomalies that just can't be anomalies. And I'm, I'm a big believer in it. Um, I don't know what I call my spirituality. I don't know what I call my belief. I feel there's a big connection to uh, my role in the world, universe, my body, and all that stuff. I'm not smart enough to pretend I know what to call it, but uh, it played a big factor. Yeah. It, it grounds me whenever I feel crazy to the world, whether it's for my goals or for how I think I can change things, change society, change the, the, the standard of health. Like I, I feel grounded when I funnel it back into like, how crazy is it though? Because all these miracles, all the things that we, we love to hear in movies and the stories and all this, they all have a common theme. And I think it's close to a truth that we carry about like, your mind and your intentions and persistent belief and just a dog attitude towards what you're fighting for you know it, it all plays a role in it I think we can call it many different things in verbiage but there's some consistencies with success yeah, and the successful people say this too like yeah. I'm, I'm yet to meet a mentor of mine that's like our guy Ben Patrick or even and, you know musical artists or athletes there's some consistencies about how they view the world and i try to uh i try to learn from people yeah. like that that's dope too i know for me when i the first time i got into like nutrition and i had a nutrition coach and she helped me basically get the body and get in shape and understand nutrition the the biggest thing i got out of it was all right if i can you if i can get myself in shape physically then who's to say I can't take these same principles, these same habits, these same values and put them across any other goals I have in my life because they apply to all of them. And with you, with your injuries, you know, being able to have something where you thought never be able to do it. Every single time you were able to overcome one was just one more belief stacked onto another belief of I can do it. I can do it. I can't do it. And you get through five of those, you know, so many people out there with an injury might think, you know, one way is like, what was me injured, not gonna be able to be fixed. But the flip of it is if you can overcome the injury, now, you know, you're resilient yeah. and being resilient 
almost feels like you've got an edge over someone who's never had an injury or never had to go through a struggle because when times get hard, they don't know how hard you had it. Can it get? Um, yeah. So. They don't know like how, how hard, hard could get and you'll still survive, you know? And it's a very the, big time, man, big time. Like when it comes to unsolvable problems that you just can't get away from, like, like you're never, you're not going to give up on your knee. I know that. Yeah. It may, there may be points where you're just not, is it figuring it out or not, or if there's setbacks, but it's not like it's going anywhere. So when there's something like that, I try to, this may not be advice, you know, I always am hesitant to give people advice, but what I do is I try to focus on the what and the why, like really get focused on like, what do I want this what do I want this outcome to be? What do I want to happen? What do I want? Like, I want my knee to be healthy. I want to have a healthy body. And why? I have really good intentions. I want to be able to push my body to the extremes of athleticism because I want to show the unathletic injured kids who were in my spot that they can do that. Like that is pure enough for me and I'll never get over that type of impact. So I know my what and my why. In the moments where I don't know how and when, that doesn't matter. Like the how and when will figure itself out. Because if I'm super convinced this is what I want and this is what I'm after and I know exactly why, I don't care if it's in 10 years or if it's in 10 months. I don't care if it's exactly how I planned or it's in a way I never imagined. Those things literally figured themselves out, I found in my life. Like I should not be an ATG. There's no reason I should be an ATG. I should not be ATG sprinter. I should not be a sprint authority. I should not be friends with Ben Patrick or leaders in fitness. I'm the least athletic guy that's injured in all these things, but I was set. I'm like, I'm going to be a leader because someone needs to like be able to connect with the underdogs. I was just set on it, set on it, set on it. And through miracles and things you could never plan the how and why just unfolded how it did so that's the only way i get to the tough times because otherwise it'll be like man this is never gonna happen like this this isn't how it's supposed to go you think you have a plan and you know how it's gonna go and it's like it doesn't and so am i wrong about it all it's you can't get hung up on like that stuff so you know your knee is gonna go exactly how you want it to eventually man i i got full faith in it it's exciting for me to see other people like pursue their their uh, battles with intensity and like optimism you know yeah I know I before I got injured it was so funny I told myself I'm like man you know I've gone through high school I've gone through college a couple years after college never got knee injury and like it's one of like, the biggest things in soccer like we might have lucked out and then that used to be like my mindset towards it and then once I got injured the only way I could have let that be like oh fuck I'm now one of the unlucky ones and it happened. It's over. But instead, it's so funny. Immediately, my mind goes, all right, now you're one of the guys that got injured. Every pro's probably had a torn ACL, but they come back. And can you come back? If they did it, you know, Virgil Van Dyke, who plays for Liverpool, tore his ACL last year and yep. he's back right now. Reese James did it. Like, I know so many at pro soccer players. And if they're back, who says I can't be back? So they, and like, you just got to get around enough of these stories to start believing it. So many people only have their story and they just believe that one story is truth. Yeah. And, and it's easy to like, 
when you live in your world, your ecosystem, your family, there's a certain level of what to expect from life. And it's easy to forget like Ronaldo walks the same planet as us. He actually is just human like you and I. He, he missed a lot of the 2014 World Cup because of the same tendonitis I have. Yep. It doesn't matter if there's the best, you know, cryotherapy chamber or this and that, like sure things can help, but there's solutions and there's, there is access for a lot of people. If you can listen to a podcast, then this probably applies to you that you do have access to solutions. It just obviously is not going to be at your doorstep, like a pro athlete maybe or whatever. But if you're, if you're stuck in like, like my family thought I was shit out of luck with athletics, like in my injuries. And I mean, I even remember rehabbing the, the first injury, the knee injury, I was in physical therapy, doing some silly stuff with the same physical therapist every day before trying to go back to the same college. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to play varsity this year. I'm going to play varsity. I'm going to be on the team because she was asking. And this woman I literally met two weeks ago says, oh, maybe like, manage your expectations you could play club like you could start maybe on god dude get out of here and i'm like yeah you don't know me that's the problem so i understand why you're saying that but like that's that's you're literally speaking to a brick wall with that one i don't know why you'd say that and but that's 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 someone who's supposed to be the most optimistic of my recovery Mm -hmm. like imagine i wasn't battle tested to stick to my beliefs if i was impressionable and believed medical professional because they're the expert like that like i would have been like Shit, you're right <laughs> okay you know it's you gotta you gotta realize like humans are humans even your idols and and whatever you can like even if it's listening to podcasts motivational speeches or anything that can like make you feel connected to them i think it's valuable to do mm-hmm. i used to listen to hours of ben's content every day and Keegan's content, especially every day. And then last week I'm on Keegan's podcast and I'm telling him, dude, I would literally listen to your stuff sun up to sundown and I'm on a podcast here. I don't think that's a coincidence. And it, it's like, you hear it so much, you think you belong. You start to blur the lines of like your reality versus what you consume. I'm very big into like consumption. Like, yeah, once I started, this was probably when I was in college. And I got really big into Gary Vee and he was humongous with that, with regards to like, you got to listen to stories. The more you hear stories, the more you start understanding that one of them has like one thing that's like you, you now know you're not the only one. And if they've done it, you can do it. You just need to find the stories. Yeah. Gary Vee changed my life, man. I, I literally found him when I moved to New York city, this, not to segue too hard, but I just want to tell this quick thing. It's a perfect example of what I just said about Keegan. Like, Found Gary Vee's page. I moved to New York City, became a student athlete, ran track. Financially, got messed up. I was homeless, sleeping on the train. And I was literally sleeping on the train, listening to Gary Vee on my headphones. And literally just cycling through videos and compilations and videos and compilations and like trying to just keep someone that was kind of like, not only positive, but you know how Gary Vee is kind of like edgy dog, like grinder too, in his own way. And I had to be in that mind state to get two hours of sleep and still go to practice at six in the morning. <laughs> and, and I, so that was in 2019 and he became pivotal, pivotal in me starting 
a business and doing everything. And then how long ago was it? It was this past summer in August. I was walking down the street in New York City, huge crowd of people going around this building. And then someone walks in the building and I bump into Gary Vee and I get to talk to him for 10 minutes. And I tell him this story and I literally just tell him, thank you. And I tell him where I'm at now. I had this online coaching business I was doing. I was getting into ATG. I'm on the other side, in my opinion. And I'm just telling him exactly what I'm telling you now. Yeah. And it was, I, I believe I'm going to be friends with my idols. And I literally always said I was going to meet Gary Vee. And when I met him, I literally just thanked him, told him the story, and be like, man, we're going to do great work in the future. I can't wait to meet you again, bro. They're going to talk later. And yeah. it's like, like, thanks. They got it. You know, it was a great combo. He was like, sure, I'll see you there. Yeah. Like, no, you don't know. That's you know. Uh, I'm, so I'm. I'm like coincidences to me are have been too freaking common that I like. I'm careful about what I say. I'm very deliberate with what I what I ask for because it's, it's crazy, man. How life can play out. Yeah, that's dope, dude. Um, before we kind of get too crazy, I want to come back with some stuff. Let's go ATG talk for a second because yeah. you're the ATG sprinter. So I want to talk a little bit about how we can get fast because once yep. my knee does heal, we were talking about this before we got on air. One of the things I'm going to have to do, and I already knew I was going to do, and this was kind of the year that I had planned was this was the year that I was going to work on my endurance and to get faster. So what do we got to do to get fast, man? Cause I was a goalie. So all I had to do was run 18 yards at a mild pace all the yep. time. And now yep. if I want to play like an attacking midfielder, I got to run up and down 90 minutes. Yeah. So the, the, the soccer fitness is a whole nother beast, but to, to have the speed base to, you know, handle that and just getting faster in general, I'll speak on. If, if you're looking to really improve speed and you weren't too obsessed about the, the short-term results, like you want to turn into a speed freak, I would really take the next two to three months to look at like, what are my weak points that hold me back in speed? And this may sound like, well, what are you talking about? Like if, if someone's not injured and they don't have an obvious ankle injury or, or hamstring problem. Um, but like I view sprinting the same way you we view jumping. I like, these are extremely ballistic, high impact things. And that's fun. They sprinting tends to help people get faster. The act of sprinting alone helps you get faster if you're healthy enough to handle the demands of sprinting. So what is a genetic freak athlete? We think it's someone that can just at age of like out of the womb is the fastest kid on the block. When usually what we find like genetic freak athletes, a lot of times are kids that had great structures and great tenacity and resilience in their tissue and maybe some genetic predisposition of, you know, what metrics they could hit, but like age seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, they were pain-free, ran their asses off, played in the park, you know, day in, day out. They put in so much to their foundation of athleticism that it's like, of course you can't catch up when you started playing at 12 or when you had a bad knee injury at 10 and 14, like, of course you can't. It's just going to look like two different humans because it is. And so when you're 24 and you have racked up a number of things and you got into lifting you feel stronger more powerful like i have mm -hmm. well even now i just realized from sprinting yesterday i've made huge progress in my hip flexors huge 
progress in my knee flexion, my Nordics, I'm feeling super powerful, but my freaking feet, I have some instability and pain with my plantar fascia or my ankle. I feel like I can only exert 70% of the power I have. And a lot of people have something. And it's not about getting your body perfect, but it's like, if you don't get those weak points, you're naturally going to make improvements. It's yeah. And we'll talk about the, the actual speed exercise and what helps even more, but like, exactly. If you get a bigger engine, but you're carrying this anchor in the water, you know, like you're just, you're going to constantly be fighting your own brakes. And so, you know, so sometimes even just working a little bit backwards for a few weeks to get yourself ready to sprint train, you come out way faster. So that's just a, that's a prerequisite, I would say. Yeah. After that, I would look at the demands of what you need. Like I would, I would really focus a lot on triple flexion. Um, so hip flexor, triple flexion. I did weightlifting. So I know in weightlifting, triple flexion is when you like with the bar, it's that last full extension. Is that what you're talking about? That's triple extension. Okay. So most of us have a lot of training experience with that. Most of us have done squats, deadlifts, trap bar jumps and stuff like that. We've gotten our ankles flexed, our knees and hips. Rarely have we done the opposite. And I think the opposite plays a lot into sprinting. So I think triple extension is great because sprinting is half of it is force production down into the ground, like pushing down and back. And when you're upright sprinting, it's a lot of horizontal, I'm sorry, vertical force. Yeah. But rarely have people trained the opposite. So triple flexion is flexing the knee up. That's hip flexor work. Oh. It's hamstring work, pulling the toes up, tibialis work. So triple flexion is usually like weak areas on most people. They haven't trained it as much. Um, and I think it helps a lot with speed. Like I think in that order, hip flexors may be the most important and underrated um, structure to get strong pound for pound in sprinting and then followed by knee flexion yeah and getting really really good resilient nordics getting behind the knee super strong with the tendons sprinting is extremely tendon dominant it's not like the biggest guy wins in a race it's usually the stringy wiry yet built like the, the attachment points everything that looks like it's genetics if you do nordics for six years straight the back of your knee is going to look a little freaky too. You're going to have like wiry tendons and a different look yeah. versus bodybuilders calf is just a ball of muscle, you know? So um, yeah, hip flexor work, Nordics, hamstrings. Flojo used to do hamstring curls every single day of her life when she set the world record. There's a long history of sprinters obsessing about hamstring curls. I think the lower legs are an untapped, underrated, advantage for all athleticism and i have a whole kind of belief on it um if you look at tendons versus muscles pound for pound tendons are extremely um less fatiguing more explosive potential they're obviously stronger but muscles are kind of the opposite they're not as strong they fatigue a little bit faster um, there's more blood flow so they heal easier but when you look at like areas of the body, where's the biggest tendon in your body is your Achilles. Mm -hmm. And that is the lowest part down by your extremities. And there's the least amount of muscle mass by the ankle. Yeah. And look at the opposite. What are some of the biggest muscle groups in your body? Your glutes. The gluteal 
tendon is so much smaller than the actual Achilles tendon. So where there's bigger muscle mass, like bigger groups of muscle, there's usually smaller tendons. And where the areas of the body where there's massively strong, relatively bigger and stronger tendons, there's usually less muscle mass. And so like, where do you get the actual athleticism that some guys just have or don't have? It's usually not the muscle mass as much as it is tendon dominance. Like you can build the strength and passive stiffness and the responsiveness of tendons if you actually put consistent work at it. Yeah. And so where is there the most tendon dominance of your area of your body is in the lower legs, like the feet and the Achilles, your soleus, like everything that plays in down there is less muscle mass. It's not as big of an area to train, but there's so much athletic potential. I think obviously we're going to do squats. We're going to do deadlifts. We're going to do whatever. We're going to build muscle. Like that's, that comes with it. I'm talking about the extra advantages that most people aren't doing to get fast. Yeah. If squats did it, then everyone would be fast that has a big squat. And that's not really the case. Yeah, yeah. Most of us always all we think and all we look at is, you know, like men's and men's and hell or like muscle fitness magazines or whatever. And everything's all about bodybuilding and building muscle, but none of that relates to athletic performance whatsoever. So yeah. all of us think more muscle means faster. What we yeah. might not realize is more springy tendons equals way faster. Yeah. And I, I did a pretty lousy job laying out that explanation, <laughs> but, but when you think about it, it's, it's kind of an interesting indirect relationship of just like where there's more muscle, there's less tendon dominance, where there's less muscle in certain areas, just relatively, there's usually higher tendon dominance, you know? And so like train both, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Train train strength, train for the type two fibers and all that stuff. But you know what matters more than type one or type two fast switch, slow twitch, fucking massively strong responsive tendons. Yeah. That jump through the roof. If you give him extremely strong responsive tendons, he'll jump higher than the guy with the most fast switch fibers. Like, yeah. Um, and that's how do you, so how do you train tendons? You know, how would somebody go about that? I, I probably do it right now in ATG and don't even realize it, but like, are there specific things that, target tendon strength sure. yeah so so tendons respond the best way to stimulate a tendon one if it's healthy enough and there's no pain as soon as there's pain and tendons things start to like get a little bit different in that mechanism but take a squat for example if you were to do box squats to 90 degrees you do that you're going to feel crazy pump in your glutes and your hamstrings your adductors your, your quads whatever the way we squat at ATG, you know, you saw at the expo and you've lived it when, you know, we try to like completely control the quarter part of that squat. Mm -hmm. And when you get deep knee flexion, you put the tendon under stretch and load, yep. it overwhelms the tendon. Okay. The only way you can grow a tissue in the body is by stress and stimulus. Mm -hmm. So tendons don't really go, a healthy tendon doesn't really go through much in a half squat. Yeah. Because can handle that yeah there's nothing about that that's really going to even tax that if you have pain or dysfunction yeah you're going to feel pain but it's not until you get into like the last bits of degree and you really stretch out the tendon and under load where it's going to have to adapt you know right. and so if you look at rock climbers fingers they have meaty massive claws they have like fat fingers 
and they don't have big biceps on their fingers. Those are, those are tendons because the forearms get overwhelmed. I don't know exactly how it works with the rock climbers. I'm assuming literally just finger strength. It's such a tendon dominant area. The lower the extremity you go yeah. down to the finger, less muscle mass. So how do you get stronger? The tendons have to do it. Yeah. And hold your body weight. You ever see rock climbers that hold with like two fingers? And nuts. How do you get strength there? It's going to have to be through the tendons. So I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Is this the long range versus short range talk? That plays into it. I think long range, like extreme long range will definitely tap the tendons, but even short range, like a Patrick step up is gold for the tendons, Got you know, yeah, yeah. So it's, there might be a good sciencey like explanation um, that's better than me. I think there's, there's practicality of using leverage, which leverages put the tendon under more force yeah, you're just trying to put tendons under like max stretch in a controlled manner past their typical load to increase the load potential that it can handle yeah i think that's one of the best ways you can probably you can train tendons without getting into a maximum tissue length but yeah, that is sure, sure. one of the best ways for sure you're leaving a lot on the table if you don't go through the full range that's a big proponent of why we do full range it's not for hypertrophy only or so yeah okay perfect makes sense too and then with the hip flexors hip flexors are muscles correct so that's just like training any other type of muscle being yeah. able to increase because for me my hand my hip flexors had been notoriously weak and i actually thought it was always a tightness thing funny enough um especially when i went to college never noticed it never knew i had an issue whatsoever until college and I was playing the soccer team and now I had to do goal kicks before I'd train like Tuesday, Thursday, play a game Saturday when you play club. Like maybe you train three times, but you're not training every single day. And I went from three sessions to every single day, sometimes two a day in the beginning and just kick after kick after kick, my hip flexor would just start fatigue like crazy. And I was, and I'd have to like stop like, dude, fuck, I legit cannot kick. And I'd have to stop taking goal kicks. If like, if we had a game, I'd be fucked. Um, so then I thought it was a stretching thing. Started working, like stretching my glute. It actually did help. It took me a long time to find some stretches, to, like actually get some relief towards the hip flexor. So that kind of got me through. I started squatting. That didn't really do a whole lot for it. I bet you for me, the biggest thing I got out of CrossFit was like toes to bar. A lot of the gymnastic stuff that helped me strengthen the hip flexors. But it wasn't until ATG that I realized you could legitimately just strengthen your hip flexors so they don't fatigue anymore. Because the way I saw it was my muscle, literally, it'd be like working out any other muscle. Every time you run, you're, you're flexing your hip flexor. And if your hip flexor can only do 200 flexions before it starts to fully fatigue, you only got like 200 lifts when you run. Yeah. fully strengthen it to be able to do a thousand and the game only has 800 yeah you've got no potential of running out of steam in that muscle on a game day and you probably can run better than somebody else who starts to fatigue later in the game yeah yeah so i would view it like this if i had to do 10 body weight squats and, and your knee was completely healthy and we're just taking that up yeah 10 body weight squats and then tomorrow I'm asking, how do your legs feel? Are you going to be tight? Are you going to feel chronically stiff and tight from that? Like, probably not. But if I had you do 90% of your max for 
10 sets of 10, you're going to feel like you have a fucking tightness problem. Like you're going to be so fatigued and tight because why? It's just doms. It's just a novelty effect. It's like you overwhelm the straight area. It's like that with hip flexors when you kick. If you don't directly train your hip flexors, you have the strength of 10 bodyweight squats in comparison, but you're trying to do one rep maxes. You're trying to do massive goal kicks, mm-hmm. put it on stretched and whip through velocity like you'll probably maxed out of its capacity after five kicks and so everything you did after that was really strength you didn't have so it was just straining 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 so it's like is it a tightness thing or is it a strength thing it's kind of chicken at the chicken or egg at that point you're going to be tight and weak yeah and that's most people where they're tight they're usually weak people's hamstrings like most people's hamstrings are tight it's not because your hamstrings are overdeveloped. I think that's a big thing too, where like, oh, if you're stiff somewhere, you're overdeveloped, you need to do that less. It's like probably, no, you need to do more of other stuff. Yeah. It's not really like, it's not really like doing too much of something is usually the issue as much as it is not doing enough of supporting stuff. And, you know, same thing for shoulders, same thing for whatever. You probably could bench three times a week only if you're doing absolutely obsessive amount of like long range shoulder work shoulder extension external rotations and just balancing everything out so yeah man that's i've had the same thing with hip flexors that that was a big problem for me um it's one of those things that never gets trained like when you train it it's crazy when i was in college it was never that was never even a potential idea it was always just like damn your hip flexor just really tightens up after you kick And even the, exactly, even when you're dealing with the athletic trainers and you're like trying to rehab from it, it's going to be like, cool, we'll have you do some little mini band stuff and you'll hold it for five seconds. Okay. Like things that feel hard, but aren't measurably low, like they're not measurable. And what's interesting to me is like what parts of the body we deem as respectable enough to put a barbell on. And then what parts of the body are we like? Uh, do a little five pounds here a little bit of that before the bench press all right let's go and it's like you think your shoulder doesn't adapt the same way when you bench like why would we treat the hip flexors like like a little sissy muscle when it's the biggest thing holding you back like i would get that strong as heck you know but dude we were both bought into the the school of thought with training because that's what the leading philosophy is like that literally you come up in it that is what makes sense to you and i look back now like i don't know why we never trained that i don't know why i was afraid to train calf raises i was afraid to train like oh really yeah because i heard like you you don't want big blocky calves because that's not athletic down yeah like you want like you want thin, I don't even know, dude, like thin, what, long, lower legs. Yeah, slow you down. You're going to develop type two fibers and or type one slow twitch fibers if you train a certain way. And it's like, it's the same reason people won't train high reps because like, well, I want to be, I want to train in the power rep scheme. And it's like, dude, just get stronger and more resilient. Like whatever rep scheme you want you're probably going to be more athletic regardless if you did the magic three reps or the magic five reps or 10. It's, it's a lot of dogma. It's, it's, it's interesting to me. There's some value, sure, in some places, but um, it seems more like restriction to me, some of those beliefs. And 
Yeah, for sure. So transitioning kind of into a little bit of content stuff as we start to wrap things. Um, as you've been doing this, you've, you know, you've been able to grow a little bit on there. And I think I've, after hearing you, I've learned what this answer probably could be, but, you know, with social media, I think all of us relatively struggle sometimes with the idea of, you know, it's no longer just my community. Now it's everybody. And I want to do good things, but also I don't want people to, to judge me. And am I doing the right things? Am I qualified to say these types of things? Um, I'm just kind of curious how you've had to deal with slash overcome any sort of imposter syndrome moments in your like online coaching space, just from a personal standpoint, it's more for like, this is more for me than it is for listeners. Yeah. Um, but I do think there's good value in this because if you can overcome this, the social insecurities of Instagram and be able to show up as your authentic self, that translates to literally your entire life. And you're one of the select few that can do that. I think yeah. you, like, you've really got a good sense of self-awareness in yourself that you will be very confident in the world. So I do think it's valuable for the listeners as well. Absolutely. So there's a few tactics I've used and then there's a general philosophy I think I've developed. And so some of the basic tangible tactics that got me over the fear that I definitely did have about social media presence, about fear of being judged, of am I going to know what to say? What would I do? I used to be a really shy person, just in general. Like I said, I was afraid of life. I was not very confident. In high school, I would not want to speak up in class. And, you know, after overcoming some of the hard things that I did, I just wanted to be fearless. And so I started taking on any example of that that I could. Like I started through a friend. I had one chance to go speak to a group of high schoolers. I was a personal trainer and I want to speak on the exercise science field because they were doing like some almost job fair college thing. But then there was a speech at the auditorium. And through that, I started speaking at a lot of schools across New York City, like a few, four or five. And I literally didn't know what I would say. I'm 22. I don't have my life together, yeah. but I know what it's like to sit in those chairs. And they were pretty tough schools. And I know it's like not to know what the hell you're going to do with your life. And you're so uncertain of the direction of things and you're trying to be cool and all like because pressure of other people, but you might have a dream. So I literally started signing up for something that made me scared as heck. I started going to these kids, kids schools and they would like some of them were super receptive. Some of them would be laughing, not paying attention, making jokes. And I just embraced public speaking as one example of like, I want to get in front of people, feel embarrassed, get over it. Yeah. Get in front, get embarrassed, get over it. Um, and that was something I did right before COVID happened. I got to do that a couple of times. And then when COVID started and I shifted my business online as online coaching, I tried to do social media. I actually failed at social media for years before getting any success now. And one of the biggest things I did though, that I would recommend for people is like, literally find something that scares you for some weird reason think about why it scares you and if it's if it's if that's where a root block is i would just attack that directly so i had an issue with like posting value content like posting solutions for the body or trying to show any kind of authority on a topic because i was like i don't know if i know enough am i reputable people are going to question me 
And so I started going live on Instagram and I went live every single day for 60 days, like two months. And it literally started with three people and then four and five. And I would start off by talking about health and fitness and lifestyle and habits. Then it just kind of went to me like spitting life philosophy and talking about, I ran out of topics after the second week. I was like, I don't know how many times I can talk about like macros and sleep cycle and stuff, but yeah, I used to be so scared to go on live and talk to people like a podcast would have frightened me big time then I would have been petrified um and I just faced it head on and now it's easy for me to like look back and realize how silly it was but those fears are real I know it for sure even posting a reel even starting content like if you admire someone you see their content man like I'd love to do that but what is the but like really explore it really look at it I used to love looking at Ben's content I'll be like I wish I could like make simple yet enjoyable exercise solution videos like that, but I don't have the mic. I don't have a camera guy. I don't have this. I don't have that. I don't have the space. And I just said, F it. Like, let me find a mic on Amazon. Let me find this. I, I broke down my like blocks one by one by one by one. And it didn't come out exactly like his, but I was getting closer and yeah. it got better got better and it got better and it got better and you you have to like get rid of this veil this imaginary barrier of entry to success that like there's something that separates you from your idols aside from committed hard work and maybe connections maybe there's some like you know rooms you get in but that comes with showing up like all that stuff happens as you show up consistently ready to be critiqued, to be applauded, whatever comes with it, you know? Um, another realization that helped me was realizing like on social media, especially 90% of the people winning in their field aren't even the experts. It's really only like 10%. If you look at people who have a million plus followers, mm -hmm maybe 10% or less of them are the leading scientists, leading athletes, leading gurus and whatever. 90% are the relatable ones that were consistent with content, that know how to connect with people, that know how to deliver a message. Like, I'm sure if, if Einstein had Instagram right now, he would have like 50K followers. No one's trying to listen to him. Like, he probably, I don't know what, what kind of communicator he was, but like, you know, guys like, you know, Andrew Huberman? Yeah, love him. Me too. The reason why he's so great is because you watch it and you don't fall asleep in the first five minutes. Like he's, he's interesting to listen to. And he breaks down the layman's term. He, he thinks of the viewer. He doesn't think about here's what we decided at the board of Stanford of like, no, he wants it to matter to you. Your interest in science. Thank you. Says that. Yeah. And that's what lets you win in social media is Ben says this needs over toes guy all the time. He's a social media guru for sure is shifted from like, being interesting to focusing on the interest of the viewer like what do they want what do they get out of this mm -hmm. if i show that i overcame my knee injuries look what i can do now that's cool but like how does that relate to them you have to change the combo to i overcame my knee injuries here's what i can do now and here's how you can do it as well mm -hmm. and like put some real conviction on that point how you do it and things start to change that way. So I struggled with social media for a long time. And, and uh, I, I dealt with all the feelings of it, the imposter syndrome, 
everything. And for me, focusing on like, what am I doing for the world by putting out content? Like what problem am I really trying to chip away at? I think I'm extremely passionate about health, like general health and fitness. And it's because I really believe like, if we can get people out of pain, maybe with their knees, they would be a little bit less likely to avoid the gym, to avoid, I mean, even things they enjoy. Maybe they find a CrossFit gym, they run 5Ks, they have softball on the weekends. Most people can find something they like. Yeah. But if they start having knee injuries at 35, they usually just slow down because they think that's what life is about. Yeah. And then they become sedentary at 40 when really they would have stayed moving at 60. And because of that, now they get all these chronic illnesses at 50 when they really wouldn't have gotten it maybe for 20 years literally decades of people's lives depend on how I can, this is how I take it. I know I'm not that important, but this is how I take it. Decades of people's lives depend on how well I can convince someone it's possible for them to do better and feel out of pain. Like how they can actually feel pain-free and get back to things they love. Like that's a real message. When I write it, I mean it. Cause if I can convince them of it, they'll try the sled. They'll try it again. Did it work? They'll try it a third time. And like they have any breakthrough like you and I have had, you start to realize, oh, it's possible. And then you get back to the, to the things you love. Life becomes better. You stay moving. You live a healthier life. You see your grandkids wedding. Like it's just beautiful stuff to me. Yeah. And that's where I come from for content. Um, I'm not, when I was in it for trying to get 10,000 views or this and that, what's the trending sound and what's, it never really worked for me. Um, and so I, I think being really clear on like why you want to do content and realizing social media is this day and age is encyclopedia. This is where people get information or their entertainment or their whatever, but it's for them. So make sure you're, you're keeping that in mind and then uh, just do it. Start first, you know, don't doubt yourself. Just go in for it and you have to get better if you do it every day. Yeah. Well, Brandon, man, I just, uh, I think it's a good spot for us to kind of start wrapping a bow on this bad boy. But before we do, I just wanted to say thanks for, uh, for coming on the show, man, for being an example for a lot of people to show them that just like you said, if you can get out of pain, you can start living a much happier, healthier life. And you've been the walking proof of this going through five, six, multiple injuries to now meeting your idols and now doing podcasts with people you never thought you would and meeting Gary Vee and like none of these things would have happened if you didn't find the solutions to get yourself out of pain and now be the spokesman for that for so many other people so I just want to give you props and say thanks for coming on the show man and kind of sharing that story with everyone thank you so much I appreciate it man I think that's that's the biggest thing is like someone was able to do that for me and so it's a blessing that I can do that. And the same for anyone that watches this, like if you're on your before story, just be ready because you'll get to your, your after point and you'll be able to do the same. And I think that's where like an unbeatable drive comes from. It's a beautiful thing, man. So I, I appreciate your, your acknowledgement and your praise. Like it's been a crazy journey that I know you can understand and a lot of people will resonate to. Um, life life can be pretty hard but like there's just so much out there that we're we're making ground on and, and I think 
it has to just brighter days have to come if you stick with it and you, you keep optimistic and so all this is super special to me i appreciate being on the podcast talking to you dude it's it's literally such an easy conversation for us to have yeah, and i'm always ready for another one for but, sure yeah we will for sure be having a a progress updated episode in the future of how things are going for you and how things are going for me so Fire. looking forward to it all right guys thanks for listening to the show and until next time peace